Hey everybody, you're listening to another episode of The Essentials with me, Maddie Flint, here on the BMG Network. Today I have a really interesting topic. It's on the history of English language, origin, and change, and this is part one, earliest origins and proto-language family. So without further ado, I'm going to jump right into it. English belongs to the Indo-European family of languages and is therefore related to most other languages spoken in Europe and Western Asia from Iceland to India. The parent tongue, called Proto-Indo-European, and the Proto-Indo part is just something to let you know that there was a language that existed that all of these languages branched out from. It's not associated with um, one culture over the rest of them or anything else. It doesn't really have a name. So that language was spoken about 5,000 years ago by nomads believed to have roamed the Southeast European plains. And then Germanic, one of those language groups descended from this ancestral speech, is usually divided by scholars into three regional groups. And those three groups are classified into East, which is the Burgundians, the Vandals, and the Gothics. Those are all extinct. Then North, Icelandic, Faroese, Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish, and then the West, which is German, Dutch, and Flemish, Frisian, and English. So English is actually part of the Germanic branch. And obviously they sound different now, especially modernized, but the main linguistic differences um, are that German still has a fairly elaborate system of inflections, and English doesn't really. And an inflection, which was formerly known as flexion or um, accidents in linguistics, is the change in the form of a word. In English, it's usually the addition of endings, which marks such distinctions as tense, person, number, gender, case, mood, or voice. For an example of a language with a more complex inflection system than English, there's also Latin, even though it's from a different branch of Proto-Indo-European, not Germanic, from the um, Italic branch. It still has a lot of similarities, and English consists of a lot of words whose roots are of Latin origin. So I pulled up a Latin declension chart. It brings me back to my time in high school. I'm just going to talk about the first declension and the second declension. I won't go into third declension and third IO because... I will get off on a tangent with that, but I think I can explain this with just using the first two. So in Latin, the first declension is feminine, um, and there are different endings for each word that is a first declension word. Um, They're case endings. So genitive, that's a possession. It ends with an A-E, which makes the sound I. And that ending would separate it from, say, a word that is masculine, second declension, but also genitive. It would end with an I that has a macron over it. And the I with macron is pronounced like E with a flat mark. And that signifies male, and the other one signifies female. And there are lots of different kinds of endings that it does make writing it a little bit more complex than writing English, but English still has a ton of complexities in it. No one language, I think, is any more distinguished than the other. They all have very complex rules and systems that we may not understand. And for example, if an English-speaking person was trying to learn Mandarin, they may find that pretty difficult. But if somebody was speaking Mandarin already and was going to learn another Asian language, they may find it a little bit easier than learning Swahili. But to get back on all the endings and everything, 
In English, we don't need a gender ending on objects. Instead, we would just say hers or his, like we have words for that. We also don't have words that have their own gender, like in Latin, the word voice, which in Latin is vox, is feminine. And in Latin, the word exercitus, meaning army, in English is masculine in nature. And through its history, English has been modified in a lot of different ways, distancing itself in likeness from most of its cousin languages under the Germanic umbrella. So the language that is most nearly related to modern English, that is a language under this umbrella, is Frisian, and it's spoken by the inhabitants of the Dutch province of Friesland and off the islands of the west coast of Schleswig. And this is what it sounds like. En de AFOEC zet hem in voor de promotie van de Frieske taal en cultuur in de breedste zin van het woord. We hebben een specialiseerde boekentaalwinkel of cadeauwinkel in Ileauwet. We hebben uit jouw rij. Wij verzwaren allerhande promotiecampagnes over de Frieske taal. We hebben hartstikke mooie projecten die we met het Fries te krijgen hebben. So that was Frisian. It does sound like a German-Scottish mix to me. Definitely sounds di different from English because we don't roll our R's and we don't have many of those voiceless sounds that happen in the backs of our mouths. That's just the place of articulation. Um, a lot of the sounds that we have in our modern English language are mostly back, mid, and front in our mouth. We don't have a lot of like breathless sounds or rolling our R's or any of that. But if you listen to like French or even that language, they definitely have different sounds than we do. Modern English is analytic, which means it's relatively uninflected. Whereas Proto-Indo-European, the ancestral tongue of most of modern European languages, German, French, Russian, Greek, it was synthetic or inflected. So English actually at one point did contain a lot of different endings with the gender number case and all that stuff. And during the course of thousands of years, English words have been slowly simplified from the inflected variable forms found in Sanskrit, Greek, Latin, Russian, and German, towards invariable forms such as in Chinese and Vietnamese. The German and Chinese words for man are exemplary. German has five forms. Chinese has one form. English stands in between with four forms, man, mans, men, and mens. In English, only nouns, pronouns as he, him, his, adjectives as in big, bigger, biggest, and verbs are inflected. We have basic inflectional morphemes, like I, me, and my. And English is the only European language to employ uninflected adjectives. It would just be the tall man or the tall woman, for example. As for verbs, if the modern English word ride is compared with corresponding words in Old English and Modern German, it would be found that English now only has five forms, ride, rides, road, riding, and ridden. Whereas Old English, ridden, had 13, and Modern German, reiten, has 16. English adopts without change, or adapts with slight change, any word really needed to name some new object or to denote some new process. Words from more than 350 languages have entered English in this way. Like French, Spanish, and Russian, English frequently forms scientific terms from classical Greek word elements. Although a Germanic language in its sounds and grammar, the bulk of English vocabulary is in fact Roman or classical in origin. 
like the word light, for example, is derived from the Latin word lumen, which means light or an opening. So now when we think of the word luminescence, that's basically just the Latin word with essence as a suffix. English's proto-language, the Germanic branch, was set apart from other Indo-European languages when sound changes happened. Because, you know, why is English different than German? How is that different than Dutch? And the list goes on for that. But it was these sound changes that caused all these splits and differentiations between these cousin languages. Grimm's Law, a linguistic theory by the same Grimm who wrote those scary fairy tales, that is also known as the first Germanic sound shift, marks these changes in consonants, specifically in stop consonants. And those stop consonants were B, D, and G, and those are the ones I'm going to focus on. So B went from an aspirated B, so like B with like an H after, into just a voiced B, B, to the P sound, which is unvoiced, and then to an F sound, which is a fricative. And this is visible in words like paternal going to father, because because patriarchy, patriarchal, paternal, all that stuff started with a P, and it's like that in older languages, and now English has father with an F. And then D was aspirated, so D to voiced, D, to unvoiced, T, to fricative, theta, which is a TH sound. And we can see that in words duo to two, the numerical two. And then with the GH, the aspirated G, to voiced, G, to unvoiced, which is a K sound, K, and then that becomes a fricative X which isn't the X like we know it, it was more like a, a breathy H. I know H is already breathy, but just, it was like a H sound instead of the typical X. And we can see that change expressed in words like canine to hound. And these changes didn't occur like drastically. It was a subtle change. People wouldn't notice it right away, like as they're speaking English. And people started to migrate and groups were forming, and it just, language evolved with the people. So English has the ability to act the way it does because of its flexibility of function and openness of vocabulary. And it also possesses a system of orthography that does not always accurately reflect the pronunciation of words. And that is because of the changes documented in Grimm's Law and the Great Vowel Shift. And sometimes I ask myself why we don't just change the spelling to match what it originally was or what it's become so that we don't have words like should and book being spelled so differently and then book and moon being spelled almost the same way and sounding very different. So for a general overview of major points in the English language's history, it's easiest to categorize them into three sections, Old English, Middle English, and Modern English. Old English was from the 5th century to 1066, when the Norman invasion happened. Middle English was from 1066 to the 15th century. In 1450, a huge phenomenon called the Great Vowel Shift occurred, which I will talk about in more detail in a second. And modern was from the 15th century until now. And then 
modern English is actually split into early modern and late modern. So what is the great vowel shift then? It's where vowels went up in their place of articulation. So wherever they were made previously in our mouths, they would just kind of move up and that changed the sound of them, which changed how we pronounce words. It was a reconstruction of seven long vowels. So I'm just going to demonstrate the changes and I'm going to start with E and that changed to I. So take the word mice, for example, we might have been calling them mice in Old English. I'm sure that's what it would have sounded like. Since Old English wouldn't sound anything like modern, we wouldn't be able to understand someone speaking that at all. That's crazy to think about. So the next one is the change from A to E. So the color green might have been pronounced as gren back then. So if we were still speaking Old English, the word Greenwich would have been Greenwich, and that would have been the correct way to say it. The fourth change is from the sound O, which is like a short O, to U. And we went from O to U. So how we say goose now would have been gos before, which sounds really weird. It might as well be like gus with a U. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the next change. And the change after that, was from e to e and that is why we have words like meet see read all of that stuff so before 1450 maybe we would have been saying we're going to go to the se to see the seagulls and to get shells and whatnot the next sound up was the consonant and the next vowel change that I'm going to say. And the next vowel change was the sound O to the sound O. So if you broke your mother's dishes before 1450, you might have broken your mother's dishes, which sounds really weird. Sounds like I'm using Brock Lopez's name as a verb or something. And so the last one was the change from A to A. So we would be backing cookies instead of baking cookies with our friends and family. I feel like if somebody who spoke Old English was transported here, they would be so lost and so confused and we would just sound like aliens. So since then, lots of sounds have changed and we also don't have free word order anymore because we did have that once in Old English. And to clearly explain what free word order is, I'm just going to use Latin again as an example because it lays it out really well. So because of the tenses and gender and number case as endings, words can be arranged in different ways and still make sense. So when Virgil wrote the Aeneid, he was able to put certain words in, a, in whatever order he wanted, maybe to get some kind of rhetorical device or a literary pattern like a chiasmus or alliteration or something like that. And it would still make sense to the reader of what it is. But if we did that in English, things would be really scrambled and not make any sense because we have just plain words for things. So for an example of what modern English would look like if we tried to put it in free word order, I have a sentence, just a random one. Dad looked desperately for his lost glasses. If we tried to put that in free word order, it would be like, desperately looked his lost dad glasses for. And is there such thing as dad glasses? Maybe, maybe it's a style, but 
that takes away from the fact that dad is doing the looking. He's the doer and he's looking desperately for his lost glasses. If it was all switched around, we wouldn't have any of those modifying effects. So now we have no free word order or else it would sound like everybody is having a stroke when they're trying to speak normally or write normally. But we had it in Old English and then Middle English came and went and Modern English is here now and there are so many sound changes within Modern English. I'm just going to play a few for you guys because when you really take the time to listen to how words were pronounced, you're like, wow, how come we don't talk like that anymore? But it's just evolutionary language change. We don't know why it happens, but it does. So listen to this. If you're really here to sell insurance, Mr. Smith, you'd do well to, and so on, so on, so on. So why that? Why, that creates suspicion. Mr. Smith, Grandview is already overcrowded with insurance agents, most of them starving. Now, a clever man like you, knowing conditions, would stay away. Simple. A clever man like me doesn't mind competition. He has ideas. CBS News. Hurricane Bell is lashing its way across New York's Long Island, creating considerable local flooding and power failures, and is targeting Connecticut and New England. I'm Mike Stanley reporting on the CBS Radio Network. After buffeting Long Island's south shore with torrential rains and winds up to 90 miles an hour, the eye of the storm reached Long Beach, just five miles east of the New York City line, shortly after midnight. Whitney, can we look for you in any movies in the near future or television projects? Uh, sure. You look, I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be there. Uh, Whitney? Mm-hmm? Uh, you got a lot of success at a young age. Are there new plateaus for you, new goals? Um... That's interesting. I don't know. I haven't quite thought about that yet. Um, I'm sure there are. When I when I have some, I'll let you know. I will. Whitney, uh, last time you were in Los Angeles at the American Music Awards, you said you were waiting and looking for the role that was right, right for you. Have, yes. have you found anything close yet? I haven't found the right one yet. Ms. President, it's kind of a broad way to begin, but tell us what is America's biggest problem right now. Right now, world peace having been enhanced, uh, progress having been made as we start a whole new approach to education, although we got big problems there. I think it's the economy. I think it is that people don't have confidence. Unemployment figures just came out today for October, up another one-tenth of one percent, yeah. 6.8%. Uh, what can be done? Well, first place, these things need to be in perspective. It doesn't help to tell someone that's out of work Unemployment is 6.8%, and that's far lower than at, in recession times when I was vice president back in the 81-82 days. It happens to be true. Uh, well, why do you care so much about success? Have you figured that out? I'm just addicted to it. I just, why? Um, I think that I've sacrificed so much for it already and dedicated so much of my time that um, I have to push it as far as I possibly can. One of the moments, though, where I felt like I had like made it mm -hmm. was that I was in this diner, like one of these old kind of Greek joints where the guys owned it for like 40 years. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know they have like these photos of all these people that come in, mm -hmm. and like the owner comes out in like his like chef whites and yeah. his, you know, whomever is like there. Um, who made the music with you? How did you sort of construct this wonderful return? Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was definitely, the, the genius notes are definitely Louis Bell. 
Um, I think I did a kick drum and a clap, and that's just about it. That's, but, still, um, that's still co-producing post. You, 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 very you, much so. Very I much still so. got points on that. You know, you know, you know how it rolls. <laughs> you and Lewis have such a great vibe, man, and, I, and and you know, you've really helped each other out. I feel like you just go with each other. So in that span, that was a really condensed span since um, 1942 with Jimmy Stewart to 2021, I think, or 2020 with Post Malone. And you can hear so many different changes, tonal variations and words that have been condensed and shortened, like kind of becoming kind of. Or in the 40s, people didn't go around being like, oh, you have an awesome vibe, man. But now they do. And the word like isn't just used as a comparison, it's just a space filler at this point and everybody does it and I try to watch myself because I don't want to say it too much and I'm guilty of doing it already. But those are just the many different changes within English that have gone on and that's a pretty short time span compared to going all the way back to the 5th century when Old English was spoken. And I'm going to end it there. There will be a continuation of the subject where I'm going to talk about modern English a little more, along with dialects and how we alter modern English depending on how we're using it, whether it's texting, professional email, talking with friends, or public speaking for things like education, radio, or preaching. So don't miss that one. That's going to be really fun. And as always, thank you for the listen. I really appreciate it. You can find my show not only on the BMG network, if you just go through Google or Safari or whatever you use for your search engine, you can also find me on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Music. Enjoy the rest of your week.